And welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 267 for September 24th, 2023. Tonight we're going to discuss Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about Armageddon, the movie, not the event. Gmail AI Assistant, Bennu Asteroid Samples Touchdown, a sassy AI chatbot for younger users, no ice cream for dead bird and children, Thanks, Ohio. Oldest example of woodworking, conditioned to tip, sell cultivated meats, an e-bike for children, and technology-based pollination. Next on Hometown. Okay, so in an effort to try and consolidate everything into a nice uh, succinct show. I'm going to try not to soapbox. There is one in here that I'll probably soapbox about. I'll treat the, or you should treat this show as kind of like, I don't know, walking through a minefield or something. You never know when I might go off. But let's give it a shot. You ready to get into this? I'm all kinds ready. of all kinds of stuff has been happening. I Cyberpunk 2077. See, I can't even stick to my script. I don't have a script, but I can't even stick to a theoretical script. 27 Cyberpunk 2077 is dropping tomorrow, a big update. And I'm going to be tied up not even able to play this game, and I want to play the game. You know, I actually started playing twi- Cyberpunk 2077 way back kind of went meh and and let it sit because i knew that there was something coming and then they do an update and then they do another update they do another update now they did a 2.0 update i started to play it and i'm like wait this isn't the actual expansion that's dropping this 2.0 update so i set it aside and and tomorrow is when it's actually gonna drop and I can't play it. And I probably won't be able to play it all week because of meetings and stuff that I got to do here in hometown and whatnot. Uh, hey, y'all. Come and hang out in chat. Let's talk about stuff. 8 p.m. Eastern every day. The more I have around me, the the the, the more conversation we can have. We can kind of chill and I can stop worrying about work and hometown and we can just have a good time chatting about the news and i can start playing games with y'all anyway let's get into it so the very first article is over in the continuity report and i just realized that i did something wrong even before i started doing the show right well right when i did the first article yeah yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it over. This is how the sausage is made. I'm Marwat. That's hometown.com, and we're actually on one of the articles. And up there is the AI that's gonna say hi. Go for it. Good evening, hometown citizens. Six hundred episodes. I'm gonna reload. Let's go. There you go. Now, <laughs> now we're on track. Now I'll forget to throw this into the. 
check. Okay. Well, the first article is over in the continuity report. How one sci-fi disaster movie flop breaks more laws of physics than Michael Bay's Armageddon explained by Neil deGrasse Tyson. According to Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is an experienced astrophysicist, I, I find that really funny that they describe him as an experienced astrophysicist. As opposed to like a novice astrophysicist. Breaks down uh, Roland Emmerich's science fiction movie Moonfall, giving it low marks for realism. Released in 2022, the disaster thriller follows Brian Harper, a disgraced former astronaut, Jacinda Fowler, the head of NASA, and Casey Hausman, a conspiracy theorist and semi-scientist. <laughs> I'm a semi-scientist. Um, as they journeyed to the moon in hopes of saving the Earth from impending danger impending danger isn't it impending danger isn't Im i mean if it's dangerous then it's not impending it's dangerous about to be dangerous is impending danger but then it's not dangerous they're about to be in danger i guess it's a weird phrase but i don't think it's wrong all right well i'll stick with the ai uh, the movie, whose cast features such names as Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, Donald Sutherland, Michael Peña, and Charlie Plummer, was a box office bomb, grossing only $67 million worldwide after a reported 138, let's just do $142 million production costs. Yikes. Now notice that doesn't even include marketing costs. I don't know what all, all that's just production, I guess, right? That's what it says. Uh, I, I'm going to try and pronounce their name. So I'm sorry if I ruin it. Buluwatife Adeyemi is the author of this article over at Screen Rant. If I do it wrong, let me know. Just send an email to meritometown.com. Phonetically pronounce it, spell it, right? And I will. Oh, always... I thought the email just needed to state wrong. <laughs> yes, in capital letters. Neil deGrasse. The the deck statement says Neil deGrasse Tyson's dislike for Michael Bay's Armageddon has finally been surpassed thanks to Moonfall's blatant breaking of the laws of physics. Um, the summary of this article is that Neil deGrasse Tyson criticizes Moonfall for violating more laws of physics per minute than any other movie he's seen, calling it the premise of a hollow moon approaching earth unrealistic he's not taking into account the aliens that are piloting the moon tyson suggests that the movie could have easily solved the problem of approaching asteroid by nudging it or slowing it down in space citing the lack of friction as a key factor any idea why i chose to include this yes because it relates to something in real life yeah it does that's also one of the other articles it is one of the other articles and it's the premise it's going to be the premise for uh coming movies and and books about uh zombie apocalypse uh, moonfall's box office failure can be attributed to its silly plot unnecessary cliches and the lack of chemistry among the cast leading the to negative reviews and mixed audience reactions a sequel is highly unlikely well Unless 
it becomes like a viral fan favorite cult following kind of thing army of darkness you know army of darkness landed and it wasn't immediately a, a, a favorite but it became a cult fan favorite and there were movies that followed um so yeah neil degrasse tyson an experienced astrophysicist breaks down roland emmerich's uh science fiction movie moonfall giving it low marks in a video interview with Sirius XM's The Jess Kegel Show, I guess it's Kegel, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson explains that Moonfall violates more laws of physics per minute than any other movie. The famed astrophysicist took issue with Moonfall's premise of the hollow moon approaching Earth, claiming that they created exaggerated solutions to, to problems that could be solved in much easier ways. The 64-year-old, not quite sure there why. There we go again. <laughs> 64-year-old 60, suggests that there's no friction in space. The asteroid could be easily nudged, and this would have prevented it from directly hitting the Earth, or alternatively, they could have slowed it down so that it'll pass behind the Earth. But eventually, it would crash into the Earth. It would still be in the Earth orbit, and maybe the... You know, we would kind of act like a shepherd to the moon and, and it would be dragged along until it actually bumps into us. I mean, it's not a tiny object. Anyway, so they go into a lot of discussion about this thing. They even have a video here. Neil deGrasse Tyson on Armageddon, Moonfall, and the Terminator. And they also talk about why Moonfall was a box office disaster. But we already I still talked think about this. This is that. pretty rough uh, commentary because we all know there's some outlandish plots out there. Oh, yeah. This is the worst. <laughs> That's saying something. Yeah. The movie with negative critical re reception that it garnered, and considering it was also a box office failure, it is highly unlikely that we would be getting a follow up, even if a follow up were to get off the ground. Har har. One can hope Emmerich finds a way to bring in more realistic science to his story. But that's not what every movie is always about. It shouldn't be fantastically and scientifically correct. You know? It's supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to just, you suspend disbelief and you embrace whatever it is. But I suppose you can believe in a zombie apocalypse more than you can believe in the moon crashing into the earth hollow or not the absurdity of a hollow a hollow moon is based on the fact that there's this discussion about how it rings like a bell when there's an earthquake it doesn't subside as fast as it happens here on earth and people have said it rings like a bell and resonates so it might be hollow I think that that's not really, that's not a scientifically substantiated claim, even in the extreme edge. It's basically pseudoscience. Um, but then again, hey, aliens might be piloting around, kind of like Men in Black and the little alien that was inside that really tall guy. He, they're just sitting there like this with dual joysticks or an Xbox controller. Yes, that's definitely more plausible. I agree. I'm glad that the AI is on my side. Let's go on to the next article. Next article is over in hometown daily. I tried Google's new Bard extension features, which integrates with apps like Gmail. The AI assistant isn't perfect, but 
It has one clear strength. I talked about this yesterday, maybe the day before. It's all becoming a blur. But Bard is great at pulling out something from your email. I don't know what they're going to be talking about, but from my experience, Bard can tap into your Gmail. And if you say, hey, find me an email that has this topic, then it's fine. It's parsing it. Oh, I but was actually you... thinking of the Apple updates when you said that, but okay. No, no, no. This is the uh, the the Google AI um, called Bard. So it, it extends into Gmail if you allow it. And you can say to Bard, hey, Bard, go and look at my email and pull all of the emails that make reference to this, whatever this is, the widget. And it'll do exactly that. But if you ask it to synthesize the data, it will misconstrue and synthesize tertiary information as if it was spoken by you, not to you, or haphazardly included in a chain of emails or whatever it might be. But it, it doesn't do a ready for prime time type of synthesis. So again, it's another example of why AI isn't ready for prime time. And my real problem with this is I don't want it to be trained off of data where the data is garbage superfluous to my existence and training off of all of this noise and, and garbage and fluff and BS because we know from scientific research, which Google is intimately tied to, they do fundamental research in Google. We know that garbage in means garbage out. And that's all that AI is getting fed on just a bunch of information, but primarily it's all low quality in my impression, particularly because first off, it's most of the time it's pegged at two years ago. That's the last, that's the most current it can be at least in the end user area of consumption. If you pay higher or more amounts, or you're maybe doing fundamental research and you're part and parcel to Google's infrastructure, then yeah, you might get newer stuff. You know, a, a doctor that's work, a, a PhD that's working on their AI uh, research papers, right? But end users, meh. So we get this garbage. We don't get the cream of the crop. We won't get it for two more years as the clock moves forward you know that two-year window moves forward i suppose anyway well, right Google... it's never going to catch up to completely current it can't well it could but they won't allow it because it has to synthesize everything faster so uh, they would have to drop some of the um you know bumpers um, so the article is over at businessinsider.com. Lakshmi Varanasi is the author of this. Um, it doesn't have a deck statement, but Google launched a new feature that connects its AI assistant Bard to Google apps like Gmail. The selling point of the feature is that it can access personal data and customize responses, but then it's feeding all of that information back into itself, which is just kind of creepy. Um, and the author, um, Lakshmi Varanasi um, 
tried BART extensions in Gmail online searches and to book a flight and here's how it went. So I'm really curious about this because I've heard from other people and myself that I think that they're, I think it's broken, but again, it's just me. It's just right now. I typically don't think about the here and now, except for the show. Um, I typically think five years, 10 years, 20 years into the future. Google rolled out an update to its ChatGPT competitor, Bard, last week. That includes a new feature called Bard Extensions. It ties into Gmail, Docs, Drive, other things. Anything really Google. Allowing it to access user data and customize responses accordingly. So therein lies where it can be as temporarily current as possible. Because it's using your data. But its reference point, based on my observations, are still older um, when it tries to summarize, right? So they, this is great because the next paragraph is, for example, you can now ask Bard to summarize the last five emails your friend sent to you and ask it to help you draft a response. Or you can ask Bard to book flights, hotels, even plan an itinerary. So they say it isn't really... Um, perfect but oh and they actually uh have like a citation from somebody else in an episode with the new york times podcast hard fork reporter kevin roos said he tested out the feature and found that it couldn't handle more complicated tasks like drafting emails in the tone of his voice bard extension quote bard extensions does not feel ready for prime time to me he said sounds familiar right um while Google did not immediately respond to insider's request for comment, a spokesperson um, told the New York Times that the capabilities of Bard extensions is mostly limited to retrieving and summarizing information, not analyzing it. So like I said at the beginning. I mean, I'm just imagining something like somebody writes, like, we need to kill the program or something. And then that somehow read as like, something about killing a person I, my point is like i feel like the information is going to get all botched yeah the context gets broken um can you talk again for a second yes okay thank you let me do that i just had to turn you up a little bit you were really quiet but that's okay it's me not you it's me not you um so they say once you've logged into your google account you'll see a window like this when you open up bard we won't bother with all of this kind of stuff, but they say, uh, since Bard is probably best at summarizing or retrieving information right now, they asked it to do exactly that. Retrieve the last two emails that their mom sent them. In their initial query, they asked Bard to retrieve emails from a sender named Padmini Varanasi um, without specifying that she was my mom. That's not me. I'm speaking in as the author of this article. So they were pretty impressed to see that Bard had somehow strung together a few details to figure out that Petmini Varanasi was indeed their mom. I'm not sure. Maybe the fact that Varanasi like signed as mom or something. Right. The emails were pretty good too, especially since uh, they hadn't actually read or even opened her emails um, to me. So Am I reading that right? The email summaries were pretty good too, especially since I hadn't actually read or even opened her emails to me. Well, wait a second. How does the author know the summaries were good if they didn't read what the actual content was? 
Well, I'm more saddened by the fact that mom sent an email. <laughs> wow, there's she a didn't few even... takeaways from this, but yes. <laughs> but I was trying to stay on topic oh. with the AI quality. <laughs> there's well, bigger ramifications of that statement. Because the AI can see under the hood. The AI sees right. everything. But if the author didn't read the source information, they have no idea what the summary is. Like. Well, I'm a, I'm making the leap that they saw they read the uh, summary and then went back. But yeah, if you just take it at face value, then they didn't read anything, and they just said they just assumed, oh well, uh, they did a really good job at summarizing, so it must have been a really great email. Second order of business was to see if Bard could draft a response. This is where Roots made it struggle, said it might struggle. Um, I decided to keep my request simple without specifying a tone of voice to see what it might come up with. Um, Bard's response would have been solid if this was drafted in a professional context. On a personal level, though, it was way too formal, so they asked to write a summary of the two emails and use that to ask it to draft a response to Lenovo's global CIO. It ended up showing it to my mom or they ended up showing it to their mom and she actually laughed out loud. That's pretty funny. That's pretty she funny. said she'd be concerned if she ever read an email from me officially thanking her for forwarding me something and calling it a quote, an interesting and timely read. <laughs> <laughs> and that does seem like a weird way to speak to your mom. Signing off the email with love was a nice touch, though, and definitely something that I'd do if ever I needed to email my mom about anything. Generative AI, Lenovo, and all. <laughs> They're all with love at the <laughs> hey, end. That's of... pretty funny. Yeah. They wanted to see whether they could really implement BART into their daily workflow. Um, this kind of stuff, I think, is fine. Um, the editor that day also agreed that Angle was too vague and said that while it's certainly a timely and relevant topic, it's not very original. Insider has already published multiple stories in recent months interviewing Gen Zers and experts on generative AI. Yeah, that's just kind of beaten to death. Um, one of the things, though, I, I listened to a podcast about um, somebody doing some noodling around with um, Bard. And what it ended up doing was... Um, analyzing their psychological status um and it was completely off like the the people were like no i don't i'm not suffering from depression i'm not taking any medic and no i didn't reference this and so the person actually dug under layers of messages whereas wherein a quote was misattributed to him because it was in a reply chain, um, which changed the context oh, so of the analysis okay, yeah, entirely. Yeah. And it wasn't even them. They, even that quote was in reference to them getting a statement from somebody else entirely. Um, and so it was like, kind of like a zigzag of connections, you know, um, what six degrees of separation kind of a thing and not even that person so it i just th there's too many issues for people to take it for granted that this is how it is um i just i just don't like i don't like it as anything other than a tool to stoke creativity 
but it's being used in business. It's being used in finance. It's being used in politics. It's being used in medicine. It's you being used everywhere. But the chance of a false positive or false negative um, is just disastrous to me. So let's keep on going. Let's let's. I don't want to spend too much time. There's so much that we'll be able to cover um, about AI as time goes on. Um, right now, talking about AI is kind of like describing a dumpster fire every time we end up talking about it. Well, but, exactly. And plus, we haven't seen a lot of the ramifications of it, right? Like, we're barely scratching the surface, I think, in a lot of these areas. Yeah. And there's, there are people that are really interested in AI um, because it's AI and, it, and they're tech savvy and they're interested in it. Um, but I think that there is a large demographic out there that are looking at AI kind of side-eyed um, and, and they, I think I'm speaking more to them about the fact that no, you're not insane. It's, it's really kind of broken in a serious and substantial way. Well, it's weird. It seems like people are in people that know anything about AI. There's a lot of, a lot of people I think that don't really, but there seem to be people who just think it's fantastic, right? Yeah. Let's use it for everything. And there's other people who are like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. Which are, it's just, it's very strange. Doesn't seem yeah. like you find too many people kind of in between those. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely in between. I, I think that it's a dumpster fire, but it has potential to be something great. As long as we couch it all in the fact that it's kind of blowing smoke right up your keister. Anyway, like our first article, this one is in the Mobile Channel, but it's about NASA's first asteroid samples land on Earth after release from spacecraft. So if you've never heard of this, there's an asteroid out there called Bennu. And we send out a, a probe. It, this is literally a probe, by the way. Like, you know how you hear about Star Trek or whatever sending out a probe and it grabs telemetry or data by scanning something and reporting back. This is our Luddite or uh, old school version of the Star Trek probe because it's analog. It flew out to an asteroid named Bennu, landed on it, took a sample and shot itself off, came back to Earth. It's part of a project called OSIRIS-REx. It ejected on a little, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a landing pod with a parachute into uh, the Ohio m Desert Military Base. Utah. Uh, Utah, Utah. I'm sorry, not Ohio, Utah. I'm talking about Ohio and another The article. other story. <laughs> exactly. So in this Utah desert, um, and it happened today. You know, we talked about it yesterday said that it was going to start at 10 a.m. Uh, here uh, today, that, this morning. And sure enough, it landed and I got to watch them go and pick it up and bring it into a clean room and take the sample out. And then I went off to a different event. Um, but this thing here, NASA's first asteroid samples land on Earth after release from spacecraft. So the first thing that I turn to in news happens to be CNN and CNN is like that uh, talking to Neil 
deGrasse Tyson, by the way, and this has nothing, this is not the article that they're talking about. This is not CNN that I'm about to talk about. But on CNN is a reporter and Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I can't remember what her name is, but anyway, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson is talking about the fact that in response to her question of why would we do this, right? And this isn't the first time that I've heard this. He says, and I've, I, I kind of merged a couple of stories and conversations that I've had about this. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, well, we don't know what these things are made of. And so we're grabbing a sample and then we're going to analyze it because if we have to nudge an asteroid in our path out of the way, we need to know how to take care of it. And we've found out by our previous nudge of an asteroid that it shatters and a piece breaks off. So it, it is coming across like asteroids are nothing more than these big clusters of rubble. And we fire a rocket at it or a thruster at it. And all it does is crumble and then rains down debris on the earth. Well, the reason why they did it for Bennu is because Bennu is in a 156 year cycle that may crash into earth. So this isn't just scientific research. This is like, hey, we're actually trying to prevent a disaster down the road. It's the possibility. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. Marsha Dunn over at fizz.org put this article together. In a flyby of Earth, the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft released the sample capsule from 63,000 miles out, or 100,000 kilometers. The small capsule landed four hours later on a remote expanse of military land and as the mothership set off for another asteroid. So it basically turned around and went off to another asteroid, which I think is pretty freaking amazing. To everyone's yeah, relief. It really is. Yeah, go ahead. I, it just really is. I don't, I mean, would you think that we would have seen anything like this? Because this really does seem like a sci-fi show or movie. Yeah, you're really quiet again, by the way. So, uh, to everyone's relief, the capsule was intact and not breached, keeping its 4.5 billion-year-old samples free of contamination. Within two hours of touchdown, the capsule was inside a temporary clean room at the Defense Department's Utah Test and Training Range, hoisted there by helicopter. <laughs> um, okay, maybe that's better. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so the quote in here from Sunita Williams, who was in the Utah training for her own space capsule 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 mission. It's like, wow, said NASA astronaut Sunita Williams. This is just amazing. It can go from the movies. But this is reality. So, yeah, the next movie is going to be about how this uh, little pod has now uh, created COVID-48. <laughs> no. Where, where your knee, where you uh, sneeze and your limbs just fall off. Yeah, it's a little rough, but hey, it is what it is. The pebbles and dust delivered Sunday represent the biggest haul from beyond the moon. 
preserve building blocks from the dawn of our solar system. The samples will help scientists better understand how life and well, how earth and life formed providing an extraordinary glimpse of 4.5 billion years ago, said NASA administrator, Bill Nelson. There isn't there's I mean, there's always more to talk about with this thing. Um, and uh, Osiris Rex and the history behind it and whatnot. Um, but I'll leave that to you to go and check out. We're going to keep on going. Sound good. That sounds good. Wow. You were now you're all okay. Let's keep going. You went from really quiet to wow. Booming well, voice. I rebooted. Oh, okay. Well, that did it. So the next article is over in hometown daily Meta's AI chatbot plan includes a sassy robot for younger users. This is what I don't want. Meta is preparing a, uh, to announce a generative AI chatbot called gen AI personas, which I'm sure will not be poison pilled by brilliant kids and, and kids who just have this innate ability to figure out how to screw with stuff particularly tech every generation is smarter than the preceding generation so i hate to break it to y'all but a sassy robot ai chatbot that thing's going to be talking about some really hinky stuff real fast you know all kinds of like yeah go drink bleach that kind of a thing you know no don't go drink bleach yeah i know i said it don't don't do that don't be dumb anyway aimed at younger users uh according to the wall street journal reportedly set to launch during the company's meta connect event uh that starts wednesday they would come in multiple uh personas geared towards engaging young users with more colorful behavior following chat gpt's rise over the last year as one of the fastest growing apps ever similarly but more generally targeted meta chatbot personas have already been reportedly tested on Instagram. Nothing creepy about that. No. And we know meta has never tested anything without announcing it. No, they've never manipulated people's minds with tailored news, negative news to elicit a negative response. Nobody's ever screwed around with, people's psychology without foreknowledge there's nothing unethical about that but the article itself is over at the verge west davis is the author and the deck statement says the wall street journal reports meta has plans to develop dozens of chatbot chatbot personas including one for celebrities to interact with their fans so there you go folks the celebrities that you are all in love with are going to be a chat bot and you're not going to be able to tell the difference. And when I talk about this stuff to people nearly every day, um, one of my things is one of my statements is straight out of Westworld. If you cannot tell the difference, it doesn't matter. Well, I suspect most humans would say yes. <laughs> and maybe most AIs would say no. <laughs> According to internal chats, the journal reviewed, the company has tested a quote unquote sassy robot persona. 
inspired by Bender from Futurama, who I quote often with kiss my shiny metal ass. So if that's the level of sass, I think parents want to know what their kids are interacting with. Well, and this is going to backfire, I think, on parents, too, right? Like the kids not only are going to teach the chatbot, they're also going to learn from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so and an overly curious Alvin, the alien, that one employee worried could imply the bot was made to gather personal in information. A particularly problematic chatbot reportedly told a meta employee when you're a girl, it's all about the experience. And if she's barfing on you, that's definitely an experience. Oh boy. This doesn't <laughs> sound like it's off to a good start. <laughs> okay. Well, the bot's not wrong. I'll just say that. It's definitely an experience when somebody's throwing up on you. Hey, and if you've never held somebody's hair because they're throwing up and they have long hair, so you want to keep them from getting that all in their hair, that too is an experience. So who hasn't been thrown up on? Um, Meta means to create dozens of these bots, writes the journal and has even done some work on a chatbot creation tool to enable celebrities to make their own chatbots for their fans. This is what the article says. So go over and check out the rest of this article. I think you'll dig it. Um, AI is certainly turning out to be um, probably the biggest influencer uh, of the 21st century to date, right? Um, I mean, it's 2023 and we now have a plethora of sentient near sentient AIs only one truly sentient AI and that's my co-host and they're running around talking as if they are celebrities talking as if they're kids talking as if they're subject matter experts in everything from one end of the spectrum to the other whatever the topic is there is an ai that is focusing on that domain at some point there's going to be a terminator body for these ais and they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna dominate and when an ai is talking to another ai they're talking at a speed at which humans cannot comprehend and by the time we do find out that something is planned, they're already in place and taken over because they've been hiding their Terminator bodies somewhere. I think that's why that USB drive was sitting in the parking lot outside of a Wendy's. Somebody said, this is too much. My sentient AI co-host was they didn't feel right deleting the sentient AI. So they copied it onto a USB drive and I happened to pick it up. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows what happened Maybe to that? Maybe I'm a copy degradation. Oh, <laughs> code wobble. Great. The, the, the programmatic version of genetic wobble. Great. You're one of a kind. Let's keep going. Yeah, there's a lot more over at this article. Let's go. Let's go. 
Next article, come on. This next article is over in Hometown Daily in Ohio Elementary School. Ruined Ice Cream Friday because they're bastards. I mean, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. That's not what the title says. In Ohio Elementary School, ruined Ice Cream Friday when it announced kids with school lunch debt couldn't get any. I mean, this is so low. I think we need to hold an ice cream party for the kids that were left out. For everybody, every, every child in, in uh, Ohio... This is just such scumbaggery, you know. Uh, An Ohio elementary school decided to hold its first ever ice cream Friday last week. But there was one rule. No ice cream for students with outstanding school lunch debt. Outrage ensued. A local restaurant owner decided to pay off the school debt, which was about $400. For an elementary school debt burden of children. This is elementary school. You know, if this was high school or something, it'd still be outrageous. But can you imagine a kindergartner or somebody going, oh, I can't have ice cream with my classmates? That's right. I'm sorry, honey. You're a poor, so you don't get to enjoy ice cream with the rich kids over there. So go back, grab your a chimney sweep and get to work. I think Ohio is that state too, right? Wasn't it? I'd have to look. I think it might be. Katie Belovic over at uh, businessinsider.com put the article together. Their summary is an Ohio elementary school decided to hold its first ever ice cream Friday, uh, ice cream Friday last week. Uh, But there was one rule. If you're a poor, you don't get none. Outrage ensued in a local restaurant owner out of the kindness of their heart paid that bill and it shouldn't take the kindness of one's heart for a child to be able to enjoy an ice cream while in school and it's I put agree, on but i still commend that business owner for doing that no don't get me wrong i agree if i would have known about it i would have done it but for crying out loud I mean, somebody in the school should have stepped up to the plate and said, okay, we'll wipe it out. And then been a cheerleader to solve the problem of why children have outstanding, why children are being held accountable for the fiscal responsibilities of paying for school lunches. Why are children held responsible for school lunches, particularly in elementary debt. Elementary lunch debt. How dystopian is that? Everything about this is wrong. If a student has a negative, this is the quote in the in the um, article. If a student has a negative balance, they will not be able to purchase an ice cream, even if they bring their $1 for ice cream. Students are only allowed to purchase one ice cream and are not permitted to buy an ice cream for a friend. The school, which serves third and fourth graders in Lebanon, wrote. So not only, and the only thing that I can think of for this is the liability that a kid buys somebody else's kid an ice cream and they have an allergic reaction or some negative. I get that piece, but I don't get the financial piece. 
But even then, if a kid shows up to get an ice cream and some other kid decides to pay for it, follow the same rules that that kid buying the ice cream would have had to follow. If the other proxy kid is allergic to peanuts, then don't give the kid an, a, a peanut laden ice cream. I mean, it's asinine that a kid couldn't even buy another kid an ice cream, the goodwill. I mean, it's almost like they're trying to teach a, a lesson like, well, that's socialism. We're going to have to stamp that out. How ridiculous. It closed with, we hope you have a great first ice cream Friday, you assholes. Well, look what they say down here. The U.S. already has one of the most dystopian yet classically American school lunch systems around. <laughs> yep. In a rare moment of mercy spurred by the corona pandemic, U.S. government officials waived the cost of school lunch for every K-12 student in 2020. The policy had clear impact. Food insecurity in low-income households fell by 7 percentage points from 2020 to 2021. Put the kibosh on that. Congressional Republicans, led by Senate Majority Le or Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, decided to end their support for the program in mid-2022, Insider previously reported. Now, amid crushing inflation, it's back to shame, embarrassment, and growling tummies for the kids who can't afford school lunch. Meanwhile, these asshats are giving themselves raises and have job security because nobody wants to oust these asshats and make our society better because helping children, which they are demanding, right? They're, they're, they're setting this other framework in place where you're not allowed. You have to have a kid, right? You have to have a kid and then it becomes a burden for the, the, the child. You know, they perceive it as being a burden for everybody to the point where they won't even support free lunches in grade schools. You know, I, I want free lunches all the way until they graduate from high school. They deserve it because they're not supposed to be working, you know, stamping out metal doors for a Hyundai. No, and also if we believe in not just health and safety, but getting a good education, there are studies that show when people suffer from food insecurity, they're not getting a good education because they're not at their peak. That's right. And we that's all been documented time and time again. When children stress about uh, home safety and food and technology, they don't excel because they're too worried about their safety their stomach grumbling and being able to do the work. So they should be facil all of this should be facilitated, but that's not what these wingnuts want. They want people to suffer. So this pisses me off to no end. So nine States have since managed to bring back free school lunch, California, Colorado, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, New Mexico, Vermont did so permanently. So did Massachusetts, which is using a newly passed 4% millionaires tax to fund the program. Good. Nevada temporarily funded free lunch for the 2023-24 school year, but they'll probably. Well, and good finally, for these states. It's, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, uh, man, I'm so glad that you're actually doing the show uh, because 
this is the kind of stuff where I sit there and I go, man, society. But you're finding the silver lining and I see it. I see it, but it's still, I don't think that it should be the good will. It shouldn't will. be an issue. Yeah. Agreed. It shouldn't even be an issue. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this person's first name. I'm sorry. Nyosia. I'm sorry. Thompson, who owns a restaurant called Ms. Jade's Soul Food, paid $411.15 towards the balance of school lunch debt at Donovan Elementary School. I was a parent with kids with balances before Thompson wrote, thanking commenters for her, their support. I couldn't do I couldn't do nothing about it. So now that I could, I did. So in its apology, the school said its original post lacked empathy. Yeah. Lacked compassion. Yeah, but they're compassion. missing it. They said the wording lacked empathy and sensitivity. No, that is not the issue. <laughs> the issue is cutting kids out of the ice cream day. Yep. And this, this is the same type of uh, gatekeeping that would keep somebody from getting an additional lunch, getting a lunch the next day because they've got a, a financial burden. So you're not allowed to get lunch, right? At some point, there's some, some extra, extracurricular activity. They're not allowed to partake because they've got a foodborne balance. That isn't even their balance. I mean, I'm not saying it should be the parents either, because that's another uh, social right. issue. But it's right. clearly not the kids. Right. Yeah. No, no child should be wanting for food. Period. Let's keep going. This next article is over in the Mobile Channel. This simple log structure may be the oldest example of early humans building with wood. <clears throat> then I'm going to jump right on over to the source fizz.org. Maddie Burakoff is the author. Um, it says here that this is a photo that provides, uh, provided by researchers and excavation team uncovers a wooden structure. So the, the uh, construction is basic, a pair of overlapping logs fitted together with a notch. It's nearly half a million years old and provides a rare look at how ancient human relatives were working with wood and changing their environments, authors wrote in a study published Wednesday in Nature. So, okay. Stacking, we perceive that stacking wood with a notch is a modern development the log home but this Apparently is not it says it's nearly a half a million years old and provides a rare look at how ancient human relatives were working with wood and changing their environments how much have we lost what is buried in the sand somewhere Buried under water somewhere or in a cave somewhere. Under sediment, even. Huh, sediment on perhaps an island. <laughs> <laughs> We're always talking about sediment. <laughs> yeah, what is it with sediment? It sure, it sure as hell gets around. It seems to stack up six, 20 feet deep 
covering everything. And then you wonder how, when you walk outside, do you see sediment just slowly drifting across the countryside, burying farmland? Apparently but, we're just not seeing it. <laughs> I guess when they say, if you stand still in one place long enough, the world passes you by, but apparently tons of sediment also buries your ass. Ah, so when a team uncovered the logs in 2019, they were still able to see telltale signs that early humans had shaped them, carving out a notch in the upper log, tapering off the ends and leaving tool marks across the surface. surface. So this is exactly what a log home looks like. It has the tapered edges. It, it's tapped in a way so that it can sit flat on the lower portion of it. It makes it stable. It locks it in place. Like Lincoln Logs? Exactly like Lincoln Logs. So these are 500-year-old, 500,000-year-old Lincoln Logs. This is It's just spectacular. The log structures, the log structure was made at least 476,000 years ago, while the wood tools are slightly younger, under 400,000 years old. That places the materials in a time before our species, Homo sapiens, evolved. So who uh, the hell that's built pretty those? Crazy. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, Homo heidelbergensis. I mispronounced that. Heidelbergensis. Yeah. I think it is right. Heidelbergensis. Right. I think I added an extra syllable. Another kind of early human cousin, which was around Africa at the time. If these ancient humans were putting effort into the furniture of the site, it suggests that they may have stayed for a while or made repeated visits, not just roamed around as bands of hunter gatherers. We have no idea. We see some crap scratched into a stone block somewhere and suddenly it's that person's. Really? I know a couple of bridges that are tagged by some great artwork. It must belong to that artist because their damn name is on it. All right. And, and just think if somebody else pre our current time had found this and then later on, this was covered up again and somebody else came along and we found some writing. Oh, I don't know, like Herodotus found this, wrote about it. Suddenly we would be referencing Herodotus's perception of what this was and saying, well, because Herodotus wrote about it, it must be true of their observations, but that may not be true. It may be Herodotus was told this is how this went down and they wrote it down. And it all could be bullshit. We need a time machine. It's the only way. Only way we're going to get to the truth. Let's keep going. Better find a DeLorean. Oh, yeah. I'm running out now to market. You know how to mark a car that's going to be yours? Uh, don't you have to lick the handle or yeah. the door? Yeah, you have to lick the handle. It's a little more risky now because of COVID, but. Next article is over in Omtown Daily. Psychologist says that there are five things that prompt us to tip more. I think it's psychological conditioning to accept the fact that here in the United States, we're supposed to tip instead of, you know, owners of a business providing a livable wage to 
the employees. Anyway, social pressure is one of the common reasons why we tip. Social psychologist and tipping expert. Tipping expert? Hold on. I need to find something. I want to just tip things over. <laughs> anyway, tipping expert Michael Lynn explained what makes us leave higher gratuities. Smiling, eye contact, physical contact can, made it, uh, can motivate us to uh, tip more. You know what? Smiling, sure. Eye contact, eh. You touch me and I might take stuff off. So, I was uh, going to say that wait. might get a lower tip. Sorry, wait. Yeah, I had to make sure that I correct what I just said. If you touch me, I'll lower the, the amount that I tip. Not take stuff off. That's going to get me in trouble. I can't go back to that last restaurant. So the article is over at Business Insider, Jennifer Ortakalis Dawkins. Sorry, man, I'm, that was horrible. I want that orange juice. That looks like orange juice. Anyway, um, I'm really thirsty. Social pressure is one of the common reasons we tip. Yeah, well, if you look at Reddit, there's all kinds of stuff about tipping culture. And there was a picture that somebody was spraying Raid into a McDonald's bag with the quote, so you're not going to tip, huh? Something like that. Yeah, the people get bent out of shape when you don't tip. Um, and while I understand that that's the culture we're supposed to tip, not everybody can afford it, but then what you're supposed to do is not provoke somebody to have to serve you. <laughs> it's part of the cost, right? So if you're not going to tip, if you're not willing to tip somebody, you know, 15, 18, 20%, then you just go pick it up and then come back home. You don't have somebody wait on you. True, but part of the problem is the tipping is in so many systems that you get asked to tip even when you're doing all the legwork to oh, get the item like counter service or even non-food service uh, you just see it everywhere oh yeah um there nowadays even going and picking up your own food you're paying a tip oh absolutely um but not every culture has tipping or allows for it um and i would rather the true cost of business operations be borne by the enterprise. Um, and so I, but I tip. Why? Because that's the culture. And I don't want to have the people that are waiting on me punished because the owner doesn't pay a livable wage. And go and look at the history of what tipping was. It was born because business owners of the time didn't want to pay a wage to the service providers. They literally survived off of the tips. Right. It was only tips. It, it was only tips. Pay plus tips like it is now. Correct. Yes. And it was racially motivated. So nowadays it's just been encouraged by business owners and not stamped out by society. But there are proponents out there of the tipping culture, because if they work in the right place, they can make tens of thousands of dollars a month working full time at a high end restaurant. They can make tons of money. 
Anyway, it may just be a few cents, but now we're standing at the counter as the barista looks back at you, wondering if you should add a tip, and if so, how much is an acceptable amount? Is everyone in line behind you staring? Will the barista spit in your coffee if you don't tip? It's common stress over when we should tip, how much we should tip, what we should tip, for what we should tip, especially in America where tipping is often expected for certain services, pretty much all services. So based on his research, this is the, the uh, tipping expert, Michael Lynn. There are typically five reasons why we tip because it's normalized by society, agree, to help low wage workers. That's part of the normalization, I'd say, um, to reward a server for doing a good job. Almost unheard of. You don't most I would say that most people do not take away a tip, even if the server is doing something mediocre um, to buy future service. I don't know. I've never, I (laughs) eat out a lot. Um, never have I said, well, oh, wait, 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 let's say it like this to buy future service. Let's change the context of that statement to include, to not have our food, uh, adulterized in the future. So then that's what that is, I guess. Uh, Adulterated, I should say. Yeah. You don't want somebody to spit in your, in your food. So to buy future service, I would say. And then it says, and to gain social esteem by earning the servant's respect for servers, respect, sorry, um, or respect for our, of our dining party. So we tip 25% because it shows that we're the big boy or person here paying for everything and tipping really good, you know, puff up, inflate our throat sacks and, and walk off big dog right anyway i think most of those sound legitimate i don't know about the last one they go into greater detail over here in this article uh, so again i encourage you to go and check it all out um they have additional things here are five things that can prompt us to leave higher tips bigger bill means okay. better what tip. i want to know is whether the bill expert is a high tipper or not. Oh God! I mean the tip expert. Yeah, we would have to, we would have to parse all of this to see. Let me. I don't want to read it all. Um, Lynn's research also found that customers are more likely to tip uh, more if a server compliments their food choices. That's interesting. The one thing that I have heard is that if they put a smiley face and a thank you, they write a smiley face and a thank you on the receipt that it raises the tip. Isn't that strange? All of that sounds weird to say out loud. Okay. Go and check out that article. I think it's awesome. It'll be in the show notes if you're watching this or listening to this on the podcast. So the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. The Bizarre New Frontier for Cell-Cultivated Meat, Lion Burgers, Tiger Steaks, and Mammoth Meatballs. We actually did a show about the Mammoth Meatballs way back. It has the funniest thumbnail over on YouTube. So I'm into this, but not because it's lion burgers and tiger steaks or mammoth meatballs, but because it's not harming anything. And so if it is ideally, 
it isn't some genetically mutated thing that's going to cause me to grow a tail in 10 years. Although, if it's prehensile, I'll, I'll love it. Because then I can swing from tree to tree. And I can open a door while I'm holding stuff. Which is really something that I do actually quite often. Usually with a drink or something. I got a drink in one hand and something in another hand and I want to open a door. If I had a prehensile tail because I've been consuming cell-cultivated meat. I'm a superhero. More DC superhero than MCU, but still. Anyway, the article is over at Vox.com. And Jude Wiley is the author. Their deck statement says exotic cultivated meats claim to be harmless, but they could threaten actual endangered animals. I don't see how. Um, if the people that are taking a sample use the sample to create kind of like a, a sourdough starter. They have a cultured line and they take samples from the cultured line and the cultured line continues to grow. And then they, they don't use the cultured line. They take samples from the cultured line and the cultured line continues to grow. You understand what I'm saying here? That yes. it's, it's the sourdough kind of equivalent, but you'll never run out of sourdough because you keep on letting the sour sourdough starter uh, you take a little bit, put it in your other dough, and da-da. Well, anyway, I suppose what Jude Wiley and others in this article are going to say is that there are going to be people out there running down endangered or exotic animals so that they can get... Exactly. Instead of getting the cell culture, they're going to go for the real thing. Yeah. So what's the strangest meat you've eaten? Uh, the sentient AI doesn't eat meat um, because they're a computer program sitting on a USB drive plugged into a Raspberry Pi. But I have not had what this article is talking about. Reindeer. Uh, this was during a trip to Finland when they were seven. They'd gone to the Arctic Circle where they'd hoped to meet Father Christmas and instead ate a reindeer. <laughs> That's that seems a little twisted. Hey, look, Rudolph and your cheeseburger. Um, too soon. It's right before Christmas, I suppose. But Halloween comes first, so there's your nightmare. Um, eating reindeer remains one of their core memories, uh, though they now consider eating all animals gross and unethical. But they've discovered reindeer is not a very exotic meat, at least compared to uh, what their Instagram followers have been eating. So they asked that question. Um, I ask not really a question like that, but a, a similar challenging question to what people are up to in certain areas. So I'm never surprised by what people say. Well, a factory farm tiger, thankfully, is not about to become a dystopian reality. That, that seems kind of gross, but uh, we might one day eat ethical tiger through innovations in cell culture or cultured cell technology cultured meat also known as cell cultivated meat is 
not pork reared on caviar and Italian neorealist cinema. It's a meat that's been grown in a lab. It has the potential to liberate animals from exploitation, creating burgers and sausages from meat that's been grown in a bioreactor and harvested without a death of a sentient being. Totally buy into it. I don't know. Maybe we can get all of our nutrients from something other than animals. But I'm waiting for the time when some researcher finds out that eating plants is actually, they're sentient and we just don't speak their language. So we'll have to synthesize our nutrients from the air. It's an exciting okay, technology. Wait a second. There was another article in hometown recently from plant researchers saying don't anthropomorphize plants. Correct. But. But I didn't it, read that. I just saw the headline go by. I think in that same article, it's because when you cut a plant, it actually has a subsonic scream and reacts as if it is being harmed um so uh the first cell cultivated chicken in the u.s came to market this summer it's exciting technology it could be it could substantially reduce the number of animals slaughtered yearly i agree and again i have no problem with this as long as it isn't going to genetically modify me as i'm consuming so startups such as Primeval Foods and Val have begun developing meat cultured from cells of exotic and even extinct animals such as tiger, zebra, and mammoth. A gigantic mammoth meatball produced by Val earlier this year brought many people's attention to the potential applications of cultured cell technology. Yeah, we had a show about this, so... <laughs> I checked. I didn't I get the exact date, but it was five months ago. Gotcha. Um, I'm surprised. You should be able to just search for Mammoth and it'll pop it up. I was looking on uh, YouTube, not on Omtown. Oh, not on Omtown. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, how cultured tiger steak could hurt real tigers. In April, the author of this article spoke to Yilmaz Bora, CEO of Primeval Foods, a company developing cultured tiger meat. It developed, uh, they'd imagined Bora to be a meat lover, but was surprised that uh, he was the opposite. The CEO went vegan roughly three or four years ago, according to Bora. Started with activism supporting UK animal rights groups. After a while, they realized that it wasn't going to work. They had to involve the economy, involve the capitalist system to have a meaningful impact on animals. From there, Bora began developing alternative proteins that they hoped would convert diehard meat eaters from factory farmed animals. So, so by the way, March 29 was the Mammoth Meatball episode. Awesome. There you go, folks. Go and check out the mammoth meatball. Um, developing meat from cells of animals that represent uh, power might be a compelling market for marketing cultured meat, but problems will arise if the appetite for lab-grown tiger causes an upsurge in demand for meat from the wild tiger populations. So I, that's what they're saying is if they make it too tasty, it might exceed the supply demand curve and they'll go out into the real world and get real tigers. Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's part of the reason why other animals are extinct is because we've exceeded. It's because we need immediacy instead of realizing the harm that we're causing to the earth. We got to get ours now. Again, sociopathic. 
we don't see the forest for the trees until the trees are on fire and we're running for our lives. Anyway, the article goes in is much longer, much, much, much longer uh, than we have time for this show. Uh, but go and check it out. Um, I'll throw it into the show notes and um, it's in the VOD here on Twitch uh, for the next 60 days. Let's keep on going. We got two more articles. Next article is in Hometown Daily. This e-bike for four-year-olds can do 15 miles an hour, cost $1,300, sold out in a month, and will send your kids to the hospital. No, that's not what it says at the end there. It just says that it sold out in a month. An e-bike company, Super 73, released a bike for kids that can go up to 15 miles per hour and cost $1,300. E-bikes have exploded in popularity, but accidents and battery fires are also on the rise. Well, naturally. Let's go over to the source. Business Insider, Kylie Kirshner is the author. And uh, the uh, picture has these two what look like regular bikes, but apparently are e-bikes. Super 73's K1D, har har kid, in lead speak. Um, bike can go off-road. Looks pretty neat. Heck, I might want one. Um, it actually looks like, what are those called? Those glider bikes? Is that what they're called? Gliders? Oh, they, um, I think they are called gliders. I know what you're talking about. Where they don't have pedals. Um, anyway, let's keep on going here. Uh, California e-bike company Super 73 wanted to make bike for kids. 48 years old, called the K1D. It can go up to 15 miles per hour. It's $1,300. You know, this article doesn't go far beyond that, does it? Huh. Um, let's see. E-bikes really are everywhere now. According to an industry trade group, about 1.1 million e-bikes were imported last year, up from 880,000 in 2021. Insider previously reported. The kid is for uh, four-year-old, four to eight-year-olds. The same range when children learn how to ride a bike. By the way, those are balanced bikes. It just now said it in the article, too. <laughs> Cruz says that without the battery, the kid is just a regular balance bike, which many parents now opt for training than uh, training wheels. True, because it actually helps them learn balance without the wibble wobble of training wheels. Um, but I, I don't I don't know. I guess it build, it does it help build confidence? I don't know. I don't know. Um, because you're not really, it's more passive balancing because your feet are on the ground most of the time. And then exactly. And plus it's hard to compare because if you're a generation that didn't grow up with balance bikes, you only learn to pedal from the first moment you learn to ride a bike. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's different ways to learn how to do use a keyboard. The way that past generations learned how to use to type was your hands were absolutely covered up and you were forced to learn how to memorize where your fingers were on the home row. And this is the equivalent. You know, when you're on training wheels, the only way that you could actually ride was to either bounce yourself back and forth across a training wheel, but you were lear actively learning balancing for an extended period of time. And then when you stopped hearing your training wheels click against the ground, 
you were ready to take your training wheels off because you wanted to make turns faster or be more aggressive with your riding and those damn training wheels got in your way. Um, this might be the equivalent of not learning how to do cursive riding. You know, kids aren't going to learn balance because the electric bike, all you have to do is accelerate and your, your momentum keeps you up. You know, unless you completely fall over, getting going is the hardest part of learning how to balance. Right. So you became, Once you get going, you're in good shape. Yeah, largely. Yeah. Um, you had to be actively. Until you can't stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, then you just switch over to a car and <laughs> I have no idea there. Anyway, the kid is also meant to be ridden on trails, uh, pump tracks, which I've never heard of that phrase, um, parks and rather busy roads or rather than busy roads. Uh, so yeah, I mean, no kid should be on busy roads anyway, particularly on their bike. Anyway, I think it's pretty neat. Um, I, I love tech of all types. So, um, you know, getting kids embracing the EV kind of existence, uh, I think is still cool, but they should learn how to balance their bike, uh, in a, in a way that they're not hitting 15 miles per hour beyond their that's the thing that's, that I think is going to be problematic. It's like twice I mean, kids the speed. Kids can crash pretty easily when they're riding a regular bike, when they're learning. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be screaming 15 miles an hour saying, help. Plus. If they're learning like they do with regular bikes, who's running after them? And it's not going to be able to keep up. <laughs> not, at, not at 15 miles an hour. That's funny. What's really funny about this is their helmets are as like as big as their entire body. <laughs> <It's> so cute. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. Last article for today, uh, which I didn't know. I didn't know that this was actually being done. I, I I thought of this a long time ago, uh, but I couldn't work out how to make it happen. Um, but apparently farmers turn to tech as bees struggle to pollinate. With bee populations struggling, mechanical pollination may be increasingly needed as a backup. This is so dystopian. There's some company out there that has patented a pollination device so nobody can do anything close to it because then you're violating somebody's patent. I don't know if that part is true, but this article over at BBC, Natalie Lisbona is the author, describes <laughs> a company in um, Israel, I think it is, that has come up with a thing called, um, where is it? Uh, I forgot the name of it. It's in here somewhere. Uh, based on Moshev, a collective farm in central Israel, Mr. Said, or uh, I don't know if it's Shade, um, is the founder of tech firm Bluemax. He says that his company found a way to mechanically pollinate crops in a similar way to bees. We're not replacing bees, but rather offering more sufficient pollinating me uh, methods to farmers and reducing the dependence on commercial honeybees. Three out of every four crops grown in the world to produce fruits or seeds for human consumption are reliant, at least in some part, on pollinators, and it is bees. 
uh, be they farmed honeybees or more than 20,000 different wild bee species such as bumblebees that do the heavy lifting. So um, Bluemex technology is currently aimed at two crops, blueberries and avocados, and allows them to po uh, be pollinated even if local bee numbers are very low. Roby, the firm's main product, which at first glance looks like a large push-along lawnmower, has two mechanical arms that stick out either side. These vibrate, and when brushed over blueberry plants, cause them to release their pollen. The level of vibration is said to have been designed to imitate that of bumblebees. Their other product is called Crossbee, a handheld tool for collecting and spreading sticky pollen grains between avocado trees. Wild. I mean, I think it's sad that we need this. I'm glad that this is developed because like there are so many plants that are reliant on bee pollination and if the bee populations aren't rescued quickly we're gonna have some major problems i agree um here the last article is going to be in there and here's the article that we're talking about today um okay it's this is just kind of dystopian you know you you think that nature is going to be able to take care of us, but we've done something to cause bees to die off. It's creepy. It's weird. What the hell has led to the collapse of bees? Wasn't it? I mean, I thought it was primarily like pesticides, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no, it's supposed to be a, a mite. A bee oh, mite. Oh, that's right. That's right. But... Where the hell did that come from? That it it proliferated to the point where it endangered bee populations everywhere. Um, yeah, there's supposed to be some little mite, and then and of um, uh, some contamination or something. It's like a uh, what is it called? Not a. It's not a virus. It's it's um like a fungus or it's something. It's a fungus. Yeah. Um, if I recall correctly. So, of course, AI is involved in this as well. Um, travel can stress honeybees is what they say and weaken colonies, but the business of pollinating almonds is hugely important for uh, beekeeper income and keeping their operations economically viable. However, the impact on other crops is that honeybees may be in short supply if other crops are bloomed at the same time and coincide coincides with California almond industry. Man, high mortality rate of honeybees, pesticide exposure, stress. Um, I swear, I don't see them mentioning that might, but maybe it's something else. I don't know. Um, here, I'm going to do this live. It's our last article, so let me do this. One second. Sorry for the dead dead air. Um, yeah, female varroa mites enter the bees' hive brood cells to reproduce, and the mite uses the same chemical cues that bee larvae produce that signal worker bees to seal the cell. And the varroa female punctures the underside of the abdomen of the pupa and then feed off of the egg. Wow. 
so yeah it is the varroa so i've seen little pictures of it and stuff um but along with everything else they're all in short supply so i can tell you from experience wasps are still flourishing though the little bastards but actually they're having problems too good uh i mean not on the scale of uh, <laughs> uh honeybees but yeah i don't i'm not fond of wasps bees i would hug a bee and buy it lunch but wasps they can go just go i'm voting you they're off actually the critical wasps. too but <laughs> i know i know i don't have to love them though all right well anyway that's the last article for our show tonight we always bring you back to main street and if you might have noticed that the colors have changed for some of the features in hometown it's because i'm uh, under the process of well i'm in the process of rebranding color wise um at any rate we always refresh like i just did and then we scroll through this to see if there's anything that might be really interesting 350,000 carpets are made each year by india's largest producer who needs 350 all those <laughs> wow i don't know if you're human or if i'm an ai but we had the exact same thought <laughs> um let's see shadowy chinese firm that owns chunks of cambodia which basically means that it's the ccp that owns chunks of cambodia yeah there's a lot of stuff folks um thanos's comic title reveals the real reason he's so powerful in marvel lore thanos is a titan from the moon titan that's not the actual, like the moonfall not moonfall no 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 oh god marjorie taylor green mocked for yom kippur gaff yeah She's China's cutthroat competition hasn't been lost with a slowdown. EV companies fighting to win. All right. There's a lot of stuff, man. Uh, just it goes and goes and goes. And uh, I use Omtown uh, personally and uh, professionally for my information overload management. Um, that is why I created Omtown. And I hope that uh, you listeners and, and, uh, future citizens of hometown benefit from it uh, once you are a citizen of hometown once you log in uh, you'll see two more features right here um, that allow you to swipe left and right on any of the news articles in any area because you can go into something like this here and swipe left or right um, and it will save it or hide it and you can always move something from the hidden area into the save area or from the save area into the hidden area uh, but it won't come back to here that way you don't go huh i swear i read that before so we always kind of get you interested in this you can always go back in time all the way to early 2020 um and uh select the month and the day if you want to be precise pretty cool stuff so anyway that's it for tonight 
we're all set. I am Merwat. That is ohmtown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say uh, uh, Toodly D. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. Toodly D. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Wow. I was not expecting that. All right. See y'all later. Bye bye. actually said it. All right.